0: This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. All right, let's get back into John chapter 15 today. Through these uh, chapters that we've been going through, 14 and uh, 13 and so forth, we have, Jesus has really been, what they call the the uh, discourse with the disciples. <clears throat> He's been trying to explain to them a lot of things that are coming up very quickly, things that they really didn't understand, and even up to this point, they, they didn't understand. And at one point, Jesus says He was kind of speaking to them in Proverbs instead of uh, being right, you know, just saying exactly what was taking place. He would, he would uh, say, you know, use references to uh, prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament. So they didn't get a lot of that at first, but they're, they're getting there. They're, they're uh, understanding what Jesus is doing. And these conversations are, are very important, not only to the disciples, but they are important to us today especially, uh, in this chapter 15, because it explains really what we should be doing as disciples of Christ. And it explains to us how we should love the Lord and for what he's done for us. So it's a, it's a reminder of that. Now this chapter 15 here, it's about Christ. The first part of it here is about Christ as the true vine. And, uh, so the basic truth of this chapter here is, is that as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in Christ or in the vine. And so we we realize that as Christians today, we cannot bear fruit unless we have a, an abiding relationship with Christ. And I mean what I mean by that is an everyday walk with the Lord. I mean, if we can, if we feel like we only need to talk to the Lord when it's convenient or we read His Word only when we when we want to or when we think that something's come up in our life, that's not really having an abiding day-by-day relationship with Christ. And it will tell in the fruits that we have because of that if we're not there. And uh, the true vine, of course, here is Jesus Christ. Let's look at... Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. So the true vine, in the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as a vine. But now we see that we find the true or real vine is Christ himself. You know, there are other vines out here. There's other things that people want to latch on to and try to grow off of, and and it won't last, it won't work. I think that's why he specifically says, I'm the true vine. And Christians cannot bear that fruit unless they are in the true vine. Now, what about the husbandman? The father is the husbandman, or the one who owns the vineyard, who takes care of it. God the father is the husbandman. Christ is the true vine. They work hand in hand together. Verse 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Notice that word more there. I underlined it in my Bible, more, because it is very important. Now, he says he taketh away. What does that mean? Just as the husbandman disposes of the branches that are not doing anything, that are not bearing any fruit, they're no good. And so the Father judges those who bear no spiritual fruit. There will be a judgment for that. What have you done with your life? What have you done for Christ? What can, you, what can I show that I have worked for the Lord? But then on the other hand, he also purgeth it. So the husbandman prunes the branches which bear fruit in order for them to bear more fruit. and I know you've seen people prune particular trees. And sometimes I used to ride down the road and see these trees and see them where they just cut them all off at the top and prune them, thinking, man, they killed them things. But you know, it won't very much longer. Boy, the buds just start coming out. The branches just start coming out. It's amazing how that works. And so in like manner, God the Father cleanses. How's that pruning done? He cleanses us. We come to Him. We ask forgiveness of things in our life. We want to move forward with Him. And we find that He cleanses the, us, and we begin to bear more fruit. And so fruit is the natural product of a living organism. If you got a dead tree, dead tree, it's not going to bear anything. It's dead. You can tell it. Not going to do any good. But a living uh, organism like you and I are, we should be producing that spiritual fruit. Now, when I talk about fruit, what do we talk? What does the Bible say about it? Galatians five, if you want to turn over there, Galatians five twenty two and twenty three. What fruit is he talking about? As Christians, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith meekness temperance against such there is no law boy what a list of great fruits wonderful fruits to have in our life and i love the the order that it's in and we'll talk about that as we go along because christ mentions it as well fruit of the spirit number one is love number two joy number three peace right on down the line so these fruits of the spirit are something that we need to be bearing now, verse 6, back in John 15. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, this does not refer to everlasting punishment in hell. It's not what we talk about here, that there are results of not abiding in the branch, in Christ. There are results of that. The man himself is not not the branch. The branch represents the fruits of his relationship with Christ. So when the Christian fails, as we all do, to abide in Christ like we should, then what happens that? You've watched Christians. You've seen people that attended church faithfully that shouted and sang and praised the Lord and, and, and gave him the offering and just done everything that they did to enjoy being in God's presence. And then all of a sudden, we don't see them anymore. We don't hear much out of them anymore. We, we, and what happened? They are beginning to wither a little bit. They are beginning to have some of those things that have come up in their life. And so we find that uh, they begin to dry up a little bit. Folks, we need to keep coming back to the well. <laughs> I mean, you're here today to, to draw from the well of the Lord and, and receive something spiritually. And we don't just wait for Sunday. We do it all week long And when we, when we pull up to his table and read his word and pray and talk to the Lord. So when a Christian is not abiding as they should, then his fruit or his works will be judged. That's what it's talking about here. Once again, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, we'll read that real quickly. And it talks about that judgment. And that's why as Christians, we need to realize there are consequences for the the Lord giving us the breath of life on this earth. And an ability to do some things for him, and we just don't do it. What's going to happen to that? The Lord is just going to say, well, I don't care about that. No. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, if any man's work be made manifest, for that day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. Remember here, we saw them take away those branches, and they were gathered up and cast into the fire. The ones that didn't do anything... If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself, you see, that's why I didn't speak. It's not saying that you're going to hell because of that. He himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. But can you imagine what we're thinking when we got this big old pile of works over there? And we're smiling, got our chest poked out and the Lord throws the fire on that thing, and that, pooh that thing is gone. And here's another one over here with a, a little pile of works that throws the fire on that. Boy, it stands. It doesn't burn up. What's, what's the difference? Well, you've got some over here that did things for the wrong reason, did things for the praise of man, did things for themselves, did things for, that, that they could have done. Another way, they will be burned up. So Christ is, is telling us, hey, let's make sure that we'll do fruit that, that will last and abide there. Verse number 7, back at John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that you bear, notice that word again, much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Those who are abiding in Christ, once again, and will permit his words to abide in us. I open my Bible, I read it. Do I just say, well, that's nice words. I hope someone else will take heed to that. (laughs) Take my shovel out and shovel it back. Well, they need that. I got news for you. We all need it, don't we? We need those words in the word of God. And so that's what he is saying here. He said, let those words abide in, the, in us and have a blessed promise that Christ will perform whatever they ask. And that is a blessed promise of the Father that he's talking about there. What a great promise that is. Verse 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my word. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So this relationship that we should have with God is the same type of relationship that Jesus had with his Father. Christ exhorts his disciples here not to just love once in a while, but that word continue, continue. You know, there are days when we don't feel like loving everybody. There are days when we're going through things. Maybe we don't even feel like loving the Lord like we should. But we we need to continue in that love. And it's interesting to note here that the first fruit of the Spirit, remember, like I read back in Galatians, is love. So Christ remaineth in the Father's love because he obeyed him. You remember what Jesus kept saying? I came to do my Father's will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So Christ was always remaining in that love and doing what he needed to do because he wanted to obey his Father. And so we should do the same thing. We remain in Christ's love because we want to obey his commandments. And he's mentioned this over and over again. Back in chapter 14, he did the same thing. Verse number 11, these things have I spoken unto you that your joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. You remember back at the list of the fruits? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Number two was what? Joy. Joy. So we find here that once again, this second fruit of the Spirit is, comes from that abiding relationship with Christ. We should be joyful Christians. Yes, we face a lot of things in this world, but we're not facing them alone. We're facing them with Christ in our life. And that will bring joy to us. Christ promised them the fruit of the spirit, these spirits will be answered prayer. You know, we all want our prayers answered. I do. Someone asked me to pray for them. I, I pray hoping that God will answer, wanting God to answer that prayer. But you know, I can't feel like God should answer my prayer if I'm not abiding in Him and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do with Him. Why should I ask the Lord to do something for me if I'm not doing what I should for the Lord? So that answered prayer, that love, that joy, all those things will come from abiding in Him. He continues that thought about love in verse 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another and then he puts it this way, as I have loved you. And I tell you, that really puts it, puts it firmly to us. You know, how should we love one another? Well, let's think about how Christ loved us, what he did for us. The second commandment that we find here, this is in chapter 15. The first one was abide in me. And in verse number 7, now we find that we are to love one another, and he defines that as I have loved you. Verse 13, he tells us about that love. How did Christ love us? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command. So that love that Christ is talking about is sacrificially giving to others sacrificially. In other words, if I don't feel like loving somebody, I still will do it for Christ's sake. I still will go all the way. Love is not just an emotional feeling. That's what the world wants you to think today, what love is all about. It's just emotions. But it's not. It's much more than that. I can either tell somebody I love them or I can show them that I love them. By what? By giving of my time, my life, Things that I have going on. All right. What did Christ do? John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That's the kind of love, sacrificial love. To a friend of Christ means to be to obey him if we're going to be his friends. Verse 15: Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. So because of the obedience of the disciples, what do they get? Christ calls them his friends. Let me tell you something. For, to be a friend of God is something else. That's a great thing. And as friends, what happens? They're going to be told everything. All the things that Christ has heard from the Father. They, they're going to be on the inside scoop on everything. That's the way I like to be with the Lord. I like for Him to be letting me know what's going on in my life and what's going on around the world. And because of His abiding in Him and His Word and the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us, all those things will help us as we live out this life on this earth. Verse 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit might remain and that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it unto you. So although they were Christ's friends, it was by his choice, not their choice. Remember, Christ called these disciples when he walked on this earth. And he ordained them to do what? To walk around behind him saying, I'm a disciple of Christ, look at me. No. He ordained them and chose them so that they could bring forth fruit. Same thing with us today. We don't walk around with a t-shirt on saying, I'm a Christian. I just want you to know I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and not do anything else but we should say, I'm a follower of Christ and I'm here to tell you about Jesus, tell you why I'm a Christian and want to lead you to be a Christian. So it is the evident that fruit of the fruit that we should have in our life. And notice the progression here that he's saying. To abide means to bear fruit. To bear fruit means to experience answered prayer that he may give it you. Did you see that? that he may give it you. Verse 17, these things I command you that, you'll lo- that you love one another. Again, Christ returning to that theme of love. You know, that tells me that's very important if he keeps on talking about it. It's very important. Loving one another. it's a commandment. It's not an option. And I think why Christ keeps going back to that because that is the key. You're really not going to witness to somebody, take your time sharing Christ with somebody, unless you have that Christ love in your heart to do that. Otherwise, we look at them and say, well, they deserve to go to hell. Or I haven't got time to to talk to them. They're crazy. I'm not even going to fool with them. They're not going to listen to me anyway. How do you know the answer to all those things? But that love should compel us to want to do that. And so, again and again, he says that. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And remember, he's having this conversation with the disciples here. And he turns from the subject of love to the subject of hate. He goes from exactly one thing to the opposite thing. And he wants to let them know in fact, that word hate occurs eight times in the rest of the discourse with them. The world, this, this includes all of those who are not friends of Christ. We cannot expect the world to love us, but we need to love those that are in the world to reach them for Christ. Don't expect them to love you as a Christian. He says here that they hated me, they're going to hate you. The disciples are going to find that out real quickly, aren't they? Coming up down the road here, they're going to figure that, see that come to pass. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, because I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world, once again, hateth you. You see, the world can only love only those that are in the world. Do you ever remember before you got saved, you had your so-called worldly friends and everybody was buddy-buddy with you and and liked you and we had a partying time and a great time, but then when you got saved and things changed in your life, guess what? Your friends of the world said, wow, you ain't no fun no more. (laughs) I don't want to be around you. I don't want to have the because all you want to do is talk about Christ. What he's done in your life, I, ain't got, I, don't, I don't have time for that. So he, he says in here that this is what's going to happen. Verse 20, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. The disciples could expect the same treatment that the Lord is going to receive. What, is the, what are they going to do to the Lord? They're going to persecute him. What are they going to do to the disciples? Persecute them. People will reject their message. The root of the world's rejection of the disciples was their rejection of the Father who has sent the Son. You see, ultimately the world hated, they got to that hating point with Christ. We just want him out of here. We just want to get rid of him. We, do, we don't want him around here no more. And that rejection is something that's very hard. You know, it's hard to face rejection from anybody. You have somebody that you think that y'all get along okay, and then all of a sudden they reject you because you take a stand for Christ, that's hard. It's hard to face that and live with that. But remember, when we get rejected for Christ's sake, remember how Christ felt. He did nothing but good. He didn't sin. He did great miracles. He did all these things while He was on the earth, and yet rejection was what He faced from all those around Him. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sinned, that had not had sinned, but now they have a cloak for their sin, no cloak, he that hateth me hateth my father also. So if Christ had not come, is what he's saying here. You know, if I had not come on the scene at all, if I had not come down to this earth at all, then these people would not be guilty of rejecting me because there was nobody to reject. But he said, I did come. And now they have no excuse for their sin. The Jews claim to obey the father. And yet, what did they do? They hated the son. (laughs) We obey God. We don't like you. We're not going to obey you. We're not going to have anything to do with you. But in reality, they hated. If they hated Jesus, they hated the Father as well. So, verse twenty-four: If they had, if I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my Father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So even though Christ had performed those great miracles, done those wonderful works that should have caused them to believe, they still rejected them. We went through that as we studied in John. They, he would do these great miracles and the throngs were all around to watch and see. But after the miracle was gone, many of them left. Many of them fled. And they rejected him once again, and they hated him once again. So even in their rebellion and their hatred, did you know the Jews were fulfilling God's plan? And that's what Christ is saying here, that it is written in their law. And the verse for that is Psalm 69, 4. Psalm 69:4, "They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. they that would destroy me being mine enemies wrongfully are mighty, then I restored that which I took, not away. Isn't it amazing all those years ago, that prophecy coming true, how they hated the Lord. And they did. They wanted to just get rid of him. Verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. So, once again, Christ now concludes this discourse that he's been talking about hatred and he moves to reminding the disciples, hey, you're not going to be alone in this thing. I'm going to tell you, you're going to be rejected. I'm telling you, they're going to hate you like they hated me. They're going to persecute you like they're persecuting me. But I want you to know the spirit of truth will testify. That means will bear witness of me. The witness of God's spirit, it'll, it'll work with the disciples, and give powerful testimony to the the mission and the purpose that they are called to do for Christ. So it is so great that Christ not only gives them the, the hard truth that isn't very exciting of what's going to happen to them, but he also reminds them, hey, the Holy Spirit's coming on the scene too. And he will continue to let them know that. And he's already spoke of the Holy Spirit several times and he will continue to do that on into chapter 16. Let's look at that. These things have I spoken unto you, that you should be, or that you should not be offended. So, in speaking of the things he said in chapter 15, Christ is forewarning the disciples about the hatred, the things that they're going to find in this world. But he's saying, "Listen, I don't want you to be offended because of that." I want you to stand tall as a disciple of Christ. I want you to keep on doing what you should be doing. Verse 2, They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. How about that? These things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. Brother Danny's been teaching about these disciples and how they died, what, what they did, and it was because they took a stand all the way to the end for Christ. And now he is saying, you're not only going to be put out of the synagogues, put out of the church, put out of teaching and preaching, but they're going to want to kill you and they will kill you. I can imagine the disciples' eyes and their minds and things that are going through them that the, how the world is going to hate them. And the hatred would be so strong that they would be excommunicated, isolated from the social life of Israel. And it means a loss of employment for some of them. It's going to mean a, lo- a rejection from their own families for some of them. But he's saying here, there in the latter part of verse 2, he doeth God's service, So they would be killed in the name of God. Acts 26, turn over to that just a minute and look at verse 9. You know, we don't think about what the disciples really went through and what they're going to face and things they stand for. As Christians today, how many of us have faced, we don't really face the rejection like that today. But maybe we do or face it from our own families. Probably we could have some people testify. Hey, my family, boy, they didn't think much of me deciding to be a Christian, and they they didn't have much. You know, I've got I've had family members of my own life that you know all they want to say is hey, you know he he all he thinks about all he talks about is the Lord and God, and that's you know and that's he he don't he don't do anything like he used to do, and this and that and the other, and so. That's what some of the things they're going to face. Look at Acts 26, 9 through 11. I've really thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Who are we talking about, class? Who's saying these words? <laughs> Which thing I did also did in Jerusalem, and with many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. When they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Who are we talking about, Brother Danny? Oh, Paul, right? Oh, Paul. What was he thought? Back then, he thought he was doing the right thing, didn't he? Isn't that what Christ has told him back here in John? That's going to happen. And I punished them often in the synagogue. I compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Wow. We find here that this person, saw who laid on the Lord, changed his life, but he thought he was doing what the right thing. And that's what Jesus said. These people are going to come up against you. They will even kill you in the name of God. The root cause of their persecution in the world is the rejection of both the Father and the Son. Verse number 4, But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, I'm back in John 16, remember that I told you of them, and these things I said unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. Now Christ did not want the disciples to be unprepared for the trial of faith that they were going to have he's preparing that's what this is all about he's preparing them and that's why he said at the beginning at the beginning Christ was with them and they realized they got up every day knowing that Jesus would be right there and today I'm going to walk again with Christ I'm going to see him again today we're going to listen to him again today That was the way it was at the beginning and there was no reason to discuss persecution while he was with them but now he's going away and so that's why he is saying here he wants to prepare them hey you're going to wake up one day and say where's christ at oh that's right they persecuted him they crucified him they buried him he rose again he went back to heaven Oh, yeah, I remember some of these things he told us now. And so they're, they're going to say, you know what, fellas? They're going to look at each other and say, guess what? Persecution time's come now. Christ said it would happen, so be on the lookout for it. Verse 5, but now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me whether goest thou, but because I have said these things unto you, Sorrow have filled your heart. So the disciples have been been interested in where Jesus is going. Remember how some of them said, where are you going? How can we know the way? We don't know what, what's going on here. But now they realize that there's going to be sorrow because he is gone, and they're going to experience that because he's gone away. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So when he says, I tell you the truth, he explains the necessity of his departure. If the disciples could understand this truth, then they would have reason to be happy and not sad. it. It was necessary for Christ to go that the Holy Spirit would come. He told us back that back in chapter 14, verse 16. And that comforter is the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 and 9. And when he is come, this is a defin- once again the definition of what he will do. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me. So the work of the Holy Spirit is described as reproof. What does that mean? He will convict and he will convince people of sin that is in the world. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is a convicting and a convincing ministry. We should embrace that as Christians. I'm glad I've got the Holy Spirit because I can't rely on my thinking all the time. I can't rely on me making great decisions every day and doing the right thing. But when I make the wrong decision, that convincing, convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit says, hey, buddy, you better check up on that. You better not do that. That's not going to do you any good. It's not going to do Christ any good. You're going down the wrong path, doing the wrong thing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Thank you for that. And let me get it straight. He will convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit through the Word of God. You know, think about the tools the Holy Spirit uses. He uses the Word of God. When we open it up and read it, those scriptures will convict us of things. That's why I say if we don't read His Word, we're not going to receive that conviction. But through the Word of God, He will convict us. How else does he, what other tool does he use? This man right here, when he stands up in this pulpit and he preaches the message the Lord has laid on his heart. What should we do out here in the pew? Oh, yes, I'm receiving that word right now. I get what he's saying. He's preaching to me. (laughs) How many times have you heard that? But people say, boy, I thought you was preaching directly to me. I don't know who else you were preaching to, but it sure sounded like I, I know I needed it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He works hand in hand with the pastor and the message, and it goes forth, and it convicts you and I of things that we need in our life to get straight. So it's through the conviction of the Holy Spirit Verse 10, what else does he do? Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. So, although the world would reject the work of the righteous one, of Christ the Father, the Father would accept what Christ has done. I go to my Father. God's Spirit would convict men of true righteousness. You know, that, that, true, that word true is so important in our world today because there's so many things, so many voices, so many things that we see and hear, and through internet and everything else we have today, it opens up our mind to see so much junk, stuff, what is truth and what is not, what's right, what's wrong. We, if we rely on our own judgment, we'll make a lot of wrong decisions. But rely on the Holy Spirit, and He will help us in those areas greatly. Verse eleven of judgment, because the prince of this world is judge of judgment. Who's the prince of this world? Satan is, and you know he's already been judged. Back in Genesis 3.15, he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The final judgment will come later on on the prince of this world. But the Spirit will convict men of this final judgment. Well, our time has run out. It's been good to follow the Lord through this discourse with the disciples and to us as well. And we'll pick up here next time we teach at uh, verse number 12 and continue along here in this chapter 16. Amen. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at bufordroadbaptistchurch.com.